Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again, so I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Hey everybody, this is Jay Nathan. I recently had the opportunity to meet a guy named Carlos Cazada at the Medallia Experience Conference. And uh, Carlos is the head of customer success at Aruba Networks, which is a division of HP Enterprise. And he's doing some really innovative stuff as he builds out uh, the customer success practice there. So Jeff and I had him on the, on the podcast, and we talked about what it takes to gain alignment and maintain it within a multi-billion dollar organization, which Aruba is, how to use agile methodology to scale customer success. And we talked about why it's a good idea to hire CS operations first. I think you're really going to get a lot out of the podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. So we're here with Carlos Cazada, who's joining us on the on the podcast today. And uh, he's with Aruba Networks, but really part of HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And uh, he and I met at the Medallia Experience Conference. Um, I don't know, what was it? Maybe six weeks ago. And uh, have just... Uh, started a conversation and got to know each other a little better and just really excited about some of the stuff that he's doing. So we just wanted to chat with you about it, Carlos, and, and uh, have you tell us your story. So welcome to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, thank, thanks for having me. This is, uh, this is exciting. It's an exciting time. There's a lot of good stuff happening. So, so definitely uh, uh, happy to be here. Awesome. Um, and so one of the things we talked about is how you're deploying customer success at Aruba. So tell us a little bit about the the story of how that's evolving for you because it's pretty unique. Yeah. So, um, I would say, you know, it's definitely been, it's definitely been a journey, right? No pun intended for those CS, uh, CS folks in the room, but, um, but you know, uh, just to keep a little bit of background. So I've been with, uh, with Aruba HPE now for about two years. And when I first joined the company, so just to give some, some, uh, some context. So I work for the VP of global services within Aruba. So I actually work kind of behind the scenes uh, in the support organization, um, which is a little bit different for me. So uh, my background is in services and support, and I, I ran uh, global services for other companies before. But this role was a little bit interesting. It was, you know, finally given the opportunity to go in and take a look at day-to-day operations and support and figure out how we can leverage machine learning to go in and improve uh, drive efficiencies and also create some value added services. And so I, I got an opportunity to kind of, I would say, come out of outside of my day to day routine and really take a look at the strategic side of the business. And one of the things that I, uh, that, that we kind of quickly recognize is that, you know, Aruba as many companies um, out there are going through this transformation into, you know, the SaaS and subscription world. And, you know, we, we had put toe in water um, on that space maybe a few years ago. Um, and one of the things uh, that was very uh, evident is that that side of the business had been unattended, meaning that, you know, we had a, we, we checked the box, we had a product that was in the cloud that had subscriptions, but, you know, we were treating it just like our perpetual contract, meaning that, you know, customers would purchase and then they'd go off on their journey. And if they renewed, great. And if they didn't renew, nobody really noticed. And so, you know, because obviously most of the revenues from the services side is driven out of support contract renewals, um, it was something that I, I kind of realized that we needed to start paying some more attention to. And uh, in parallel, right, uh, the, the company decided that they were going to start putting more, more, more stock in the whole SaaS and cloud business. So they started accelerating some of that. 
And so I had a conversation with my VP and said, hey, listen, you know, if, if we're serious about this, we need to make sure that we understand how customers use the product. We need to understand, um, you know, what the renewal rates look like. And at the time, nobody had even figured out how to calculate renewal rates, right? So, you know, not, I'm sure other folks in the audience here might, might relate to this, but when you're looking at subscriptions, um, the way that people order subscriptions and renew subscriptions um, actually changes because in a support contract world, you know, there's a very intimate relationship and intimate conversation that happens at the time of the renewal because you're quoting it and you want to make sure that you respect previous discounts, whatever, and then you create a whole new contract. In the subscription world, you just buy it again. And so when you take a look at it from a reporting and systems perspective, there isn't an easy way to go in and track, hey, these new 100 subscriptions that just came in, are they net new subscriptions or are they in response to previous ones that were lapsing? Because in our model, you literally buy a whole new set of subscriptions, which overwrite the previous ones. And so we spent quite a bit of time to figure out how we can actually start tracking some of that stuff. And that was kind of the, 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 the birth of the CS conversation for us. Now, uh, going back to your question about kind of how we're launching. So, you know, for us, the subscription as compared to our on-prem is a smaller part of the business. And it, it coincidentally lands a little bit more on the SMB and mid-market side. So immediately I knew that when I look at some of the CS models out there, they're very customer success manager heavy, meaning that, you know, we're setting up phone calls with everybody, we're putting in the success plans. But when, you know, a large percentage of my customers are spending less than $15,000, it's hard to go in and dedicate that many resources to every single customer. So what we made the decision, and, and this is actually represented by even our, 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 hiring, um, our hiring methodology, is we knew we needed to go technology first. So, you know, we spent, spent some time um, in vetting out a couple of different customer success platforms. And before that, I had interviewed or, or had spoken with a number of CS organizations, you know, in, in Silicon Valley and, and outwards, and also talked to folks of like Accenture, Sutherland, some other consulting groups. And, and one of the things that I didn't want to make the mistake of is that I, I, one of the things that was consistent is a lot of folks out there would hire CSMs and do a lot of work out of spreadsheets for a really long time before they started thinking about automating. And I wanted to flip that. And that, that, that's kind of like, you know, very, very consistent with kind of some of the work that I've done in the past is leverage technology to improve things. So I'm like, let's start, start it right from the beginning. So my first hire was actually a, a, a manager of CS operations to really go in and help me do the tool selection. And then once we had the CS platform, how do we go in and start creating or ingesting data sources to start tracking customers' journey and things like that? So my first two hires was a CS uh, ops manager, and then the second one was actually a program manager before I ever hired any CSMs. You know, we settled on leveraging a tool called Strike Deck, which we favored because it felt that it was, you know, um, a company that would be super responsive to things that we, we needed done. Um, but also um, from the automation perspective, it had a, a lot more features, functionalities, and also flexibility. So we've been running on Strike Deck now for about seven, eight months. Um, I actually just hired my first two CSMs about a month ago, um, but we've actually been engaging customers since March. And right now we're essentially managing a cohort of about 1,100 customers through digital engagement. Um, and you know we're actually averaging about a 60% uh, open, uh, open rate on all of the digital engagements and about a 30% click rate, um, which is actually very surprising for us. Um, and so now that we've hired our first CSMs, we basically, through the process, have identified, you know, a little, uh, a little bit more granular segmentation, which is now driving us to saying, okay, of 
the customers that we're engaging, these are the folks that need CSM attention. And that's where my CSM will now engage. So um, it's actually been very, very helpful because we could definitely focus on the journey map, the playbooks and things like that without having to worry about the overhead of, well, what are my CSMs going to do today? How, you know, how, what, how are we going to break that up? Um, it's actually allowed us to have a lot more clarity um, on specifically what are the customers that are requiring that level of CSM engagement and which segment of the customers can still be managed via uh, automation. That's fascinating, Carlos. We just came from uh, a, a private equity roundtable where we met, you know, roughly about 40 businesses. And um, I can tell you that is certainly uh, something that we thought about throughout the discussions. Cause you can, just like you mentioned, you know, I think everyone thinks that human touch is number one, always needed. Um, and while it is, and you know, that is uh, a type of engagement model, it's just one type, right? There's other ways to engage the client. I've got like so many avenues that you want me to, that I want to go down now that after you mentioned that you used the word earlier called, uh, you said transformation that you guys mm -hmm. had to drive. How did you think about approaching that transformation in the organization? You know, how did you go get kind of buy-in for your vision? Um, how did you actually think about putting together maybe a kind of a business case or a use case and start going down that path? Cause I think, an interesting piece that we've seen with our client base is, you know, sometimes there isn't necessarily the, um, that wherewithal to put that, put those things together. And I think it's really important to try and figure out how you went down there, um, especially to justify going, you know, with the kind of upfront doing the operations first and then looking at CSM. So can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good point. So, um, you know, a long time ago, I worked for a great, a great leader who, um, who actually, uh, as a homework assignment, would make us read this book called The Leadership Challenge. And, and one of the things that I, I took out of that book was a, was a phrase that says, you know, you need to make people part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Right. And so um, very early on when we knew that we wanted to do this. Right. So first thing is I convinced my boss that this is something we needed to do. And I convinced that he needed to, to drive this as part of the services organization. So I got him really excited about that. So then the next thing is uh, he asked me to put together a plan to get that we would present over to uh, the president of the company. Um, so we put that together, um, presented it to the president of the company, and it was very, very timely um, because because uh, we were driving a lot more of the subscription business and we're looking to get more into that space. Um, it was almost like we came at the perfect time to answer some of the questions that he had, had in his head. Now, to your point, I think the, the challenge is how do you get everybody else on board? So we actually spent about two months doing what I call an internal roadshow. And what that was, was we went and we created what we considered to be the charter for customer success. And so that charter had to be very aligned with the overall corporate goals, right? So one of the things that, that, uh, that we learned as we were going around talking to different CS firms is that we realized that, you know, um, there's really two, two spaces where customer success fits. Um, one is in some cases, customer success, when it's, it's being leveraged to drive upsell and expansion is typically found underneath a sales umbrella. And some of those CSMs are quota carrying CSMs. Um, but if your goal is to drive adoption, retention, and overall experience, which is what we were trying to do, then the natural fit for that is, is in services because now you're building a team that's more of a um, customer advocate and not a sales guy. Um, and so that's why it was really important for us to make sure that we raised our hand before anybody else did and drive this function out of the services organization. So when we would go, what we did is we actually set up one-on-ones with um, all the senior leadership executives uh, at Aruba. 
and we basically pitched them the uh, the charter. And we wanted to get their feedback, make sure that they were aligned, that they, they were bought in, and and you know they actually had an opportunity to contribute. But as part of the charter description or, or definition, we spent a few minutes actually kind of educating them on what customer success was, why it's important, and how it's leveraged across the industry and some of the impact that CS could have. And so that really gave them a little bit of education, caught them up, and then at that point they got it. And so I think that was very, very helpful because it became, it, it made us a lot more relevant when we would come up to them after the fact to ask them for things because they knew what we were trying to accomplish. So I think for us, it was very, very important to get those senior leaders to go in and, and one, contribute to our charter so that, you know, two or three months later when we're presenting at the QBR, there was people in the room who may not have been in part of those conversations, but when we went and actually presented at the charter at the corporate level, um, there was a lot of folks in the room who actually had contributed to the words that were on the screen and they were on board and they were behind it. And the best part was, is at the end of the charter discussion, one of the things that we said is, you know, we're going to come back to you asking for somebody in your team to be a stakeholder as we're driving these processes. We need them to weigh in as to whether or not they're aligned and, and also they need to participate because there's going to be some key decisions that we have to make that we're going to need some help from. So it was, it was very important to get, you know, first of all, educate them on really what it is you're building, but second of all, um, understand how they fit and how they're contributing so that they could all be a part of this. That's awesome. Was that part of Aruba or was this within HPE that you were doing this initially? No, so this is part of HP. Uh, sorry, uh, part of Aruba. Okay. Yeah, and how big Aruba. was Aruba at the time that you were doing this? Work? So this is. Uh, I'm only talking about. This is probably about a year ago, actually. So um, you know, Aruba is, is a fairly sized company, two point five billion dollars, right? And so, uh, so I'm talking to you know our chief marketing officer. I'm talking to my VP of engineering. Um, I'm talking to the folks from. Uh, from procurement, I mean, literally every every one of the EVPs on on the present staff to make sure that we had their support. Um, you know, one of the critical ones was also, for example, our, our our VP of channels because making sure that we keep the partners involved in all of this is super important, and we need their guidance to tell us, you know, how we approach some of these activities as we're as we're uh, as we're doing this in a in a model where we're very partner heavy. So you got an initial. You got an initial um, investment to to go build the CS ops component mm-hmm. first. That's how you wanted to tackle it. But you have an interesting approach to how you've developed that. That's sort of an agile approach. So maybe maybe you could talk to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's, that's actually something that that um, that I'm, I'm finding is is actually uh, more unique than I thought. So you know, one of the things that I would warn a lot of the folks on uh, on the audience is that. When you're when you're talking about doing customer success, there's it's a huge undertaking, and you know we we did your typical two day um, two day workshop with thousands of multicolored post its and you know mm-hmm. photos of of whiteboards and all these other things, and we were going to rule the world. I mean, we had you know created all these great ideas of how we wanted to do this, but then when we sat down and said, where do we start? Right. And everybody had different opinions of how do we start? How do we get, you know, who do we go after? Things like that. We're kicking, kicking the can on words like pilot and incubation and, and, and test customers and friendly customers. I mean, we were going all over the place. 
And I would have to admit, we were spinning for about two months, right? Well, we can't do that until we've done this. And, and well, we can't do that until we know what, how to do this uh, customer health scoring. Well, we can't do customer health scoring until it's segmented. I mean, it was all over the place. Yeah. And, and um, you know, um, I would say, I would like to think that it was my idea, but realistically, um, in parallel, the company um, was actually trying to get everybody aligned on this agile methodology. And so there was some, uh, uh, some training, some training uh, that was happening across the company to get people to understand how agile worked, agile methodology. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm always uh, looking to learn new things. And so me and, and my program manager actually went and attended a two day boot camp on agile. And, uh, because of that, a light bulb went off. And so we, we've now um, have our own instance of JIRA and we're actually leveraging the Agile methodology with all the scrum ceremonies to actually drive all the processes that we're implementing within the success program. So we took all those stickies and all those whiteboard photos and turned them into epics and user stories. We created a backlog framework for a lot of these things. We're working in two-week sprints with four-week release cycles, and um, and that's actually keeping us very, very organized, and everybody knows uh, what we're working on. Everybody knows what we're delivering, and essentially what we're doing is, you know, we started, uh, one thing I meant to mention is we actually started by drawing the line in the sand and said, you know, we have existing customers. We have customers that are coming up for renewals, and we also have net new customers. So what we decided to do is that we're going to go and just start working with our net new customers, and the remaining customer base would eventually on-ramp into the program. And so what we've been doing is, is, is you know, we've, we've identified what the journey is for these customers, and we've always stayed about one or two steps ahead of this cohort in the journey to develop the next set of processes. Because um, we agreed that we realized that we're not gonna go and have all this flushed out and then start bringing customers on. So, um, you know, it, it started with, you know, at a very minimal, let's go and tell people that we exist. So any net new customer that came on board got a welcome letter from us saying, here's who we are, here's what you're gonna expect from us and you're gonna be hearing from us in 30 days. And in the next 30 days, here are the things that you should focus on. Right. And then we went away and say, great, what are we gonna do in 30 days? Right. So we had 30 days to figure out what we we're gonna do with these guys. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's literally what it's been like. And, and it's actually been super helpful because along the way, you know, you're getting feedback from customers and they're checking in. We also have integrated Calendly into our, um, email campaign. So customers always have an opportunity to schedule a call with the CSM if they need to, even though we're hundred percent digital, there's still an option to kind of what I call an escape valve to go and actually talk to somebody. So we're not necessarily doing a dedicated CSM, but we basically have a, a lifeline CSM, if you will. So um, that's how we've been able to manage it. It's working pretty well for us. When you started going down that path, you said you, you know, you stayed a little bit ahead. So um, you're kind of, you know, one step ahead of the cohort that's coming behind. Mm -hmm. So how, how are you thinking right now about kind of staying ahead of that cohort while also managing the feedback loop of what happened in that stage that they were just in mm -hmm. and kind of implementing both? Like, how do you think about doing that with the agile methodology and um, yeah. specifically even more, how do you think about all the inputs that are coming, right? I'm sure you've got customer success managers that are telling you stuff. You've yep. probably got your bosses coming mm -hmm. in. You've got your customers who are probably saying things. So how are you kind of uh, distilling down those thoughts? Yeah, you know, that's the beauty of Agile, right? Agile has a ceremony called a retrospective. And so the whole purpose of that ceremony is to really reflect on how that last, last sprint went. 
Um, and, you know, did we do what we said we we're going to do and, and what are the outcomes? So, you know, we, we definitely have expanded a little bit on what the purpose of that ceremony is. And so that's what we leveraged to go in and, and really double click on, you know, how did that go? What are customers saying? What are the things that, what are the loose ends that we need to tie up going to the next sprint? Right. Um, and so, so there's, there's quite a bit of that. Um, you know, we also have, um, you know, so we actually pressure ourselves also to, we, we hold ourselves accountable. So one of the things that we do is we actually hold a monthly uh, business review internally with all the execs, all those execs that we reached out to for the charter discussion um, are actually audience every month to hear how we're doing. And, you know, some months they all show up, you know, so, so participation is sparse, but what happens is, is everybody gets the readout at the end of that meeting and they get it in their inbox. And, you know, and, and we, we obviously invite any of the execs to a one-on-one -on -one if they want to double click on anything and, and get feedback. So because of that, right, the week before our MBR, we actually present the MBR content to the VP of services so that he's aware of where we're at. So it actually it actually aligns pretty well because if you look at our at our at our cadence calendar, now we have these retrospectives and we roll up the retrospectives into essentially becomes the, the the presentation into the VP of Global Services, and that presentation of uh, of to the Global Services VP is actually kind of our dry run for what the MBR will become, and so because we're going to go and do those presentations, we know that we have to go in and collect all the information of how we're doing, what's going on, what's working well, what's not working well, and report on that. And so it's actually, you know, so I'll be honest, it's a lot of work, but um, it's forcing us to be accountable. If we didn't have those MBRs, then I think you run the risk of just giving yourself a pass and not stopping to collect all this information and making sure that you're actually making progress. So for people who are trying to set up customer success teams, what if they're in a much smaller company? What would you recommend that they do in terms of being transparent about what they're working on and how they're planning and, and socializing these things. Like how, would you encourage them to do the same exact thing that you're doing maybe with whoever will listen or how do you think about it? Well, I definitely think that doesn't matter the company size. One of the things that's, that's, that's very key. And, and this is going to sound very cliche and I read this somewhere, so I, I wish I could give them credit, but you know, I've read many times the customer success is not a department, right? It's a philosophy. And, and it means getting the entire company behind it. And so you're doing yourself a disjustice if you're doing this in a silo. Everybody needs to be a part of this. The VP right. of engineering needs to know the relevancy. Also, the VP engineering is your customer because you're going to be giving them the feedback on how their product is doing, you know, and things like that. The product team is going to be hearing from you on how the product is doing. So, you know, regardless if they show up to the meeting or not, you should still have that, that, uh, that ceremony. But make sure that you follow it up with the, the readout of that meeting. And then obviously invite everybody to, the, to, the, to, to a one-on-one -on -one if they want to double click on anything. You really start getting people's attention once you start publishing metrics. Because, you know, everything becomes, yeah. everything's a theory until you have metrics. And I'll tell you, it's interesting because in our case, um, NPR, our uh, um, churn rate was a point of contention for a while because everybody had their own way of, of calculating churn rate, you know, and, and obviously they're going to want to make the churn rate not look as bad as it is or whatever. Right. And so, um, you know, we actually had a bunch of requests to meet on this subject and everything else was a priority. So finally went and we published out to that audience what the churn metrics were and we got a lot of attention and it was actually purposeful because then what happened, 
happen is we said, wait a minute, let's, let's get together. If you don't agree with these metrics, let's get together and let's go through the methodology and let's agree on how we want to report this going forward. So it actually brought folks to the table and now there's no question of what our churn rate is, how we're calculating it and what we're driving, right? So, um, you know, I think initially there's a lot of theory, but once you actually start putting numbers out there and you start showing how you're progressing, it, it naturally will bring people to the table to have those discussions. Absolutely. So what are some of the kind of metrics that are on there? Of course, churn, right? That, that's got to be in there. Mm-hmm. But what are, what are the leading, there have to be some leading indicators there for you too. What, what are those kind of things that are showing up in there? Yeah. So for us, um, you know, again, we our whole goal of CS is to drive uh, experience, right? We want to go and improve the customer's experience. We want to make sure that people are getting value out of it. And so when you think about it, like I mentioned earlier, the, we have we have our customers who have gone and attended for a long time. And um, also just our sales cycle. This product isn't a product that you absolutely can live with, can, 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 can not live without, right? So what we're talking about is a cloud management platform for some of the uh, SMB mid-market products. And you can manage the product without this cloud subscription, right? Now the cloud subscription gets you central orchestration and things like that. And so what ends up happening is we have customers, a lot of customers, who purchased equipment and were giving a subscription license as part of their sale. And one, didn't even know they had them. Or two, don't know what to do with them. You know, they went and they kicked around with it and they, didn't, they really didn't pay too much attention. So for us, one of the things that we find is it's super critical for customers to go in and activate the subscriptions with the first 30 days. And so one of the things that we're tracking is for any net new customers is the percentage of customers who've activated within 30 days. So we have digital engagements that go out to the customer on day one, day seven, day 15, and day 30. And, and based on whether or not they have completed that cycle or if, they, if a percentage of the licenses have been activated, but the larger percentage have not, we'll leverage Strike Tech to go and actually create a customer health score for that onboarding phase. And depending on their contextual situation at that point, whether it's a percentage of licenses not activated or zero licenses not activated, they'll get a different email campaign from us to say, hey, here's how you need to do it. Here's a video that walks you through it. And if you need help, click on this thing and schedule time and we'll help you with it, right? Um, so the, 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 the high level of responses, we're tracking you know, the time to activation. We're also tracking whether or not they're subscribing or, or creating an account on our online community because our online community is actually um, a very uh, great resource for, for support and, and, and kind of uh, step-by-step guides that other folks have worked, worked, worked through. And just the overall usage of the product. So what we're tracking is, you know, uh, what we, you could kind of say kind of time to value, right? So, um, you know, activation in less than 30 days. Um, we're also tracking the overall health score. Um, we're, we also do some MPS surveys at the end. So after customers have actually set up the equipment and finished that 30 onboarding cycle, we do do a, a, an MPS and a customer engagement score uh, at that point. So those are the things that we track, as, as well as how is our campaign doing, right? What's our click rate look like? What's our open rate look like? You know, because we want to know, do, do we get better response if we send this, send this email on a Tuesday as opposed to a Wednesday, right? Things like that. Yep. Um, so those are the things that we're keeping an eye on. And, and I would say we, we call this internally our MVP or minimal viable product. This is what we're able to do with the data that we have now. But we're working pretty closely with our product team to get more um, analytics out of the product. So, so more telemetry to really give us a little bit more granular view into um, what the customers are doing so that we can proactively reach out to them with the right content to drive behavior. I got to tell you, I mean, it feels like you're building product, 
right? You're treating yeah. the customer experience like it's like it is part of the product, and actually, it is. We we right. try to espouse that, you know, and how we talk about customer experience. And I just I love the 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 motion you put around it and the cadence and so so important. Yeah, to, and to, to your point that. earlier, if you're in a smaller company, you would be a lot further along than I am now. <laughs> That's, <a good> point. <laughs> right? That's funny. Um, harder, so, yeah, bigger company. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 you know, I'm a startup junkie myself. So, uh, you know, I sometimes miss the days of just going and getting stuff done. Uh, but obviously there's a much bigger responsibility when you're working at a large organization such as HPE. So we all have to play in the sandbox and a lot of times you have to hurry up and wait. So there's a lot of, a lot of that that we have to deal with too. I'll tell you what's really interesting that we, I think we've started to hear more and more is just this CS operations role. Mm -hmm. You know, I think when you talked to us a year ago, we didn't hear it that much. You know, I think it's, it really was, you know, back then just, you have a customer success manager and you've got, you know, the, the team who's above that. So you might have a manager or director of of who's leading that team. Um, But now you're starting to see that evolution into um, a customer success operations role. And it's, it's similar to sales ops, right? You know, sales has sales ops for a reason because they need uh, somebody to help control the systems, the process, kind of manicure those, those items over time, make sure that they are still the right things to be measuring. Um, so I think it's fascinating that you started with CS ops because just like you mentioned, can you imagine if you were um, in a startup organization and you walked in and on day one and you were made, you know, director of customer success or VP, and instead of saying, hey, I'm going to go hire CSMs to go interact with my customers day to day, and instead said, hey, I'm going to go hire an analyst to go actually just look at systems and look at data to then make the best right. decision forward. It actually starts to make a lot more sense in the way that you actually build out and hire your team. Is there any yeah. other, when you start thinking about the growth of where your team is going now, you know, you had mentioned uh, you've hired a couple of CSMs now. Um, do you have any kind of... Uh, mathematical way or just uh, a structured way that you're thinking about how you grow that team? You know, is it, do you get more operations leads who can lead campaigns or program managers? Do you get more CSMs? I'm just kind of curious yeah. at this stage where your mind goes. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because uh, one of the things I love about the CS environment is that every, every other CS leader is very open to talk about what they're doing because they want to hear what you're doing. Right. So I love that about this community. Um, you know, it, it's funny because it's not until you get into these conversations that you realize kind of the, 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 the magnitude of what we're doing here. So, uh, so yeah, no, that's actually a good topic. So one of the things I will say is, is that I'm very, um, I'm very particular about uh, the hiring profile for my CSMs. Um, give you an example. I've had recs that have been open since December that I haven't pushed on because I don't feel like I've had the right person. Um, or um, I haven't figured out what the right skill sets are. I mean, a CSM is a pretty general um, uh, job description. But when you take a look at the products, the target audience that we're going to be supporting, in some cases, I need folks that are just, you know, kind of cold color quality, just jumping on the phone, introducing themselves to the customer and getting them on board. And in other cases, because of the complexity of the, of the products that we're supporting, I need somebody that's a little bit more technical, maybe used to be a support engineer or an SC who can manage an account, right? So um, as I hire CSMs, I'm trying to be very diligent to not replicate skill sets. So give you an example. One of the CSMs that I have now has experience working at Yelp, T-Mobile, and you know has, has been in a situation where they're doing 200 calls a day, 
right? I don't expect him to do that as a CSM, but he's got that memory, he's got that muscle. So if we need to go in and accelerate a digital campaign by supporting it with some phone calls, I got that talent. I have somebody else on the team who is a lot more sales focused. So as we start looking at being able to, you know, figure out how we can start weaving in some of the um, upsell as a natural uh, uh, part of the conversation, they can also help, you know, coach and participate in some of those things. Uh, my next two profiles are a little bit more on the technical side. And so I'm actually looking for somebody who's done more of professional service program management. So, you know, managing deployments and rollouts, right? Because um, as we all know, there's folks who call themselves customer success, but they're actually doing technical account management or professional services rollouts. So I'm looking for somebody with that expertise to bring in and then really, um, you know, round them off with the CS workflows to go and drive some of those higher touch engagements for those bigger tier customers. Um, so uh, again, I'm very, very particular about the profiles that I'm trying not to double up on, on, on skill sets right now because I want to build a team that collectively we can go after any install base, any segment, you know, as opposed to having one CSM drive a portfolio, I want to do it around skill sets. Um, and as, as kind of, it's kind of like a CSM on demand based on the requirement, right? Um, so I have a pool of CSMs that I can throw at anything. But to your point, um, to support the things that we're doing, I'm actually hiring a marketing person. And I don't know if this role exists out there, but it's almost like a market. CSM because if you take a look at the digital campaigns that we're driving they're very similar to what a marketing person would do on on a nurture campaign and so what we're trying to do is we're looking for that marketing type uh, mindset who can come in here and actually drive the digital campaigns for us and keep track of how effective this this reach out was right you know what are the click rates or the open rates uh, one of the things that we're very particular about in all of our messaging is the tone right we want the tone to be a heck of a lot more relaxed more informal we want to make sure that customers feel that connection and so you know we have the strategic hire in q4 so if anybody's listening out there and, and is interested right um job rec's going up i think next week is we're looking for somebody from a marketing perspective to be part of this team to help drive a lot of those things right so um and then we're going to be augmenting our cs ops right right now we have one we're growing that team to three and, and to your point, I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. Like, you know, one of the first things that you do before you launch customer success is you have to understand, well, what's your install base look like, right? And, 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 and as part of that, how are you going to segment your customers? Well, you can only do that with data. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to get out of the way of pivot tables my whole career, and that's not something I want to get into. So rather hire somebody who loves doing that kind of stuff to go and give me that analysis. So, um, like I said, it's, it's, like I said, I don't know if I've just been lucky or fortunate or, or maybe subconsciously brilliant, but, um, you know, it's just, it's just the way that it's, it's kind of laid itself out and it's been working for us. Man, so many good things here. I feel like we could talk to you for hours, Carlos. Um, <laughs> yeah. I want to I give you a chance to talk about something that I know is near and dear to your heart, which is integrating your Latino heritage in tech together mm -hmm. out there in the Bay Area. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. It's very oh, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, no problems. So, so, you know, I've been fortunate enough in my career, um, if you haven't told by, by the name of the guy on this podcast, um, I, was, uh, I was born and raised in Mexico, came to the U.S. permanently when I was about 14 years old, and I've had a lot of great opportunity to travel over Latin America as a pre-sales engineer for various high-tech companies. Um, and uh, since I've landed at HPE, um, I have had an opportunity to leverage the platform. I'm, I'm the executive uh, sponsor for the 
a Hispanic employee resource group at Hewlett Packard, part of the inclusion and diversity team there. And, uh, and as part of that, you know, we've had the opportunity to reach out into the Bay Area Latino community. And we've been able to host uh, high school and college students at Aruba at HPE um, and really give them a day in the life of tech to really inspire and motivate these, uh, these youth to really pursue a career in high tech. And I think it's super important to, to, to be able to, to tell your story and, and have some of these kids see somebody who looked like them on the other side of the podium, on the other side of the desk, or as I joke, even on the inside of the building. Um, and so for me, that's something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, we've kicked off, um, I'm working with a number of uh, folks here in the local community. We've kicked off a uh, Instagram um, page of Latino leadership where we post a lot of the good stuff that we're doing. Um, we do a lot of um, uh, talks in Spanish to some of the parents just to help guide them um, to be able to support their children into, into taking the leap into this space. And then we also do some work with the local small businesses. So last year we held our second annual uh, Latina Entrepreneur um, Program. And it's, it's, a, it's a two-day workshop on a weekend. We actually hosted them this year at Aruba. We had about 100 women show up. Um, and it's 100% in Spanish. And we teach them everything from creating a business plan to what are the permits to, you know, we have folks from HR. So it's, it's, an, amazing, it's an amazing opportunity to watch um, Latino folks who are really good at what they do in, the, in this tech space volunteer some of their time to go in and bridge that gap back in the Latino community and try to really be that bridge into getting more uh, Latino population. You know, one of the things that, that motivates me is, you know, the Bay Area is about 30% Latino. And unfortunately, only 3% of that population actually works in a high tech company. And only 1% wow. of those are in leadership positions. So, wow. so that's my motivation. Uh, we're looking at making a dent as much as we can, uh, one person at a time. So that's amazing. Purpose driven. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Absolutely. Well, man, it's, this has been awesome. We'd love to just keep talking to you as you keep going down this journey. I, I can't even imagine where you'll be, you know, six months or a year from now. So would you come on and do it again with us at some point in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, I'll probably be hurry up and waiting still, right? Uh, <laughs> the company thing. But, uh, but yeah, absolutely. Would, would, would love to do this again. I, I love talking about this stuff. And also, uh, if any of the audience wants to reach out on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm always open to have a conversation to see what everybody else is doing. Um, I'll do my shameless plug because I'm new at this, but um, we will be over at TSW. Uh, looks like I got a speaking gig um, on Monday. So um, we will be out there. So if anybody wants to catch up, reach out to me on LinkedIn or come to the session and hear more about what we're doing. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.